Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. And this is a little bit of a, of a whip-around podcast of a few different topics that uh, some, some are listener questions, some are topics that, that we should discuss anyways. It's, it's one of those, those off-seasons. I mean, uh, hopefully we don't have many like this ever again, but this is one of those ones where um, you know, there seems to be news every couple days that's, that's highly unprecedented. So we'll talk about that. We'll take some listener questions. Uh, coming up in a couple days, we will have Steve and I did a draft, kind of picking a may, maybe a maze team and a blue team if that helps people visualize it, uh, or a Steve team or an Zach team. Two teams with Michigan football's upcoming season roster. So anyway, starting with, well, let's start here. Uh, this happened today. No season tickets for Michigan football. No, um, no tickets available to the general public. So if you didn't already buy season tickets or you aren't a Michigan student, uh, you will not be attending a Michigan football game this year. And then Michigan even acknowledged that uh, there, there might not be fans and there might not be a season, which I, I might not be significant. I do think they're the first school to kind of truly acknowledge that as a possibility in, like an, in an on-the-record press release type of setting. So um, I do think they're being forthcoming with this. I mean, this isn't something to have a ton of opinion about. It's what Michigan decided. I, I do – think if if I can have one takeaway from how Michigan has handled the pandemic there, there's, there's a few things that I think they've done well um, but I think they've been really they have not waited for other schools and I think that's pretty commendable you know you think about kind of what Michigan has done throughout a lot of its history a lot of times it has been you know kind of on the forefront of things so they're not waiting for other schools they're not they're not pushing optimism you know, I know some, I think there were a couple of big 12 athletic directors who said, oh yeah, the stadium would be full. Uh, this was like a month and a half ago, no longer probably the case. So there is that it's notable. And that leads us into a question from Scott 24 Davis, who I think is kind of an interesting one. We might not be able to do all 12 Scott, maybe, maybe combined. We can, if the Michigan or if the football season is canceled, if, and the Big Ten Network opted to replace it with replays of Michigan's 12 most recent big game victories on game delays. Which dozen games would you select? Not grainy black and white games, but a season's worth of wins since the dawn of the BCS era. So let's do, maybe not BCS, let's do the modern era since 1992. Um, obviously, the win over Ohio State in 97 and the national championship, or the Rose Bowl victory that year, those would be two obvious ones steve what are what are some other ones that stand out to you we might not we, we probably don't have to come up with 12 but maybe maybe five or six Notre dame under the lights sure i think is one that you have to have to have in there um the comeback against michigan state braylon edwards game okay i think has to be one one for me if we're going back to 92, I mean, this is well past 92. One for me that always, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it was a big win in retrospect, but one of the best individual performances I ever remember, uh, Tim Biakabatuka mm. rushing for 313 yards against Ohio State. I think it was a really big, uh, memorable game. I, there's, a, there's, uh, there's quite a few. I, you think of uh, Phil Brabs beating Washington 
as time expires, Henny to Manningham against Penn State. I mean, there's there's quite a few you could probably choose from, actually. Okay. All right. So I'm looking it up. Let's go. Yeah, since 92, uh, top 10 wins or top five wins, Ohio State in 1993, 28-0. You know, I, I think, um, well, obviously, Washington State, 1998, Ohio State, 97. Penn State, 97. So I was, I was three in the 97 season, so others may have to – they might be pulling their hair out. Like, how, how can he not remember this and that? But um, uh, number two, Penn State on the road, 34-8 to eight, Michigan wins. That so. – yeah, so that was – I mean, you could argue that was the most dominant road performance – that a Michigan team, I mean, that was a, I mean, 34 to eight's almost misleading. I want to say Michigan was up 34 to nothing. I believe Penn state's eight was a garbage touchdown okay. late in the game. Um, complete and utter domination in that game. Uh, Glenn Steele, James Hall uh, dominated up front. I'm trying to think of everything. Woodson scored an offensive touchdown in that game. I believe Anthony Thomas had a score. Chris Howard, had one of his best games as a Wolverine in that game. So that I think that one's right up there too. I guess of the 97 season, it's those three games are the three that would stand out. Right, It'd be Penn State, right. Ohio State, Washington State. You know, and um You probably should have, if you're showing twelve games since ninety two, yeah. Probably should have at least three from that national championship season. That yeah, if it's twelve, then Penn State has to be on there. Cause that was a that was a because I believe if I remember right, that was called that weekend was referred to as judgment day because I want to say that may have been the same week where Nebraska stole that game against Missouri with the, the kicked ball that should have been ruled in, should have been ruled incomplete, but was a touchdown. It was like two top six matchups or something. It was crazy deal. It was a really, you know, it was really built up all week and Michigan just came out and, and, I was one of those games I remember. I mean, I was, what, 12, I think. Uh, but even then, it was like, I think two quarters into the game, it did take something crazy for Michigan to lose. I mean, they just absolutely obliterated them. So. Um, a couple other ones that stand out, obviously, Penn State, 2005, 27 to 25. Uh, at Notre Dame in, in 2006. I, I don't know. Maybe that one doesn't. I'm sure that one is one yeah. of those ones that fans adore. I mean, they're so – you know, they get pumped talking about it every time. Um, Orange Bowl in 2000. Yep, that's a good Tom one. Brady, Alabama. So so we actually got up there pretty quickly. Um, got up to our, you know, nine or ten. None from none from the Harbaugh era that yet? Is, that is what I was going to ask you is because here's – can I do a stat that's going to – I'm going to say a stat. I don't mean this to <laughs> – attack Michigan but it is it is interesting that since Big Ten Network happened or began before the 2007 season Michigan has what three bowl wins and one win over Ohio State so it is interesting that a lot of the if you're going back to 1992 which by the way I chose it kind of that's when the scholarships uh you know designed to enhance parity kind of came into play that's when there was a little bit more of a push to have a true one national champion. Um, and so maybe that's arbitrary, but I know, I know some of our national team 
has begun using 1992 as kind of the modern era. A lot of stuff from 92 to 2000, and then a little bit in the mid-2000s, but not a lot since. Do you think, Steve, any game from Jim Harbaugh's era? I mean, the orange, or the Citrus Bowl win over Florida, uh, a couple top 15 wins over Wisconsin. I'd argue the Notre Dame game last year kind of had that, yeah. that vibe. And then, then a couple of the Penn State wins, too. Um, any, you know, 2018, I think had a couple, is there any, are there any that you say should definitely be on that list? Okay. So does it have to be a win against like a great team? Because I would almost argue that Michigan state this year, sort of looking back now, D'Antonio's gone, Michigan mm-hmm. embarrasses Michigan state. I mean, you think about where that rivalry was six, seven years ago, felt like a, bit of a breakthrough right yeah like a rivalry like a momentum changer in the rivalry and again I know Michigan State not very good last year but I guess I I guess you could almost like I always look at it like what are the games that if you're YouTubing old Michigan highlights what games do you gravitate to and I feel like the energy in Michigan Stadium last year in that game and just yeah just the sort of like finally uh you know for Michigan not because they've you know they've one against Michigan State since Harbaugh has been here. Right. Just that where I think a lot of fans waited years for just that blowout, embarrassing, you know, embarrassing Michigan State sure. On, sure. on Michigan Stadium turf, you know, type deal. So I think either of those games probably qualify. Also, you know, yeah, beating Penn State in 2016, you know, it was crazy to think that that team went on to win the Big Ten Championship when <laughs> right. Michigan – I believe played their second string from the midway through the third quarter on uh, probably could have put up 70 points if they had kept their first string in throughout the game. So that's probably up there as well. You know, I'm going to go with um, from the Jim Harbaugh. I I see your point about Michigan state, by the way, I think one metric you could have is what game will fans still be talking about in kind of tall tale tones five, six, seven, eight years from now or a decade from now. And you're probably right. The Michigan state game is probably up there. I, I think, I think the citrus bowl win over Florida might be up there too. I'm going to actually go with Wisconsin last year, or I guess in 2018. So two years ago, because that was, I believe that is Michigan's only college game day win under Jim Harbaugh. When game day comes to town, not that that has anything to do with anything on the field, but it, it speaks to kind of game of the week vibes. And then, you know, I think Michigan was favored, but I think that the way they won, it was a little bit of, you know, to, people talk about, you know, the arrival of Michigan's passing attack or the arrival. That was the arrival of Michigan's offensive line again. That was the game because they, they ran for over 300 yards. Um, they just demolished a traditionally very good Wisconsin defense. Now, I know Wisconsin had some injuries, but, um, you know, the fans were really into it. It was a night game and, and the crowd just kept getting more and more engaged to the point where they're playing jump around and doing the jump around in Michigan. It, to me, I think that's one of the ones. Who knows? Maybe it gets forgotten. But in addition to the two you were talking about, I still think, I mean, you know, maybe this is one knock on Jim Harbaugh here that he's five years in. And, and if you look at the last 28 years, it might only be one or two games that make this 12-game hypothetical schedule. I mean, a quarter of them are coming from one year, though. Sure. But 
I mean, I agree. I don't. Nobody deny that. Yeah. You know, any because really, you know, if we well, like if we're going back to '92, there are some wins against Ohio State in there, obviously. But you know, right. if you were even just going from 2000, you'd have to put throw the one win against Ohio State in there. Uh, you know, regardless. But you know, one that we didn't mention should be mentioned: Capital One Bowl 2008, Lloyd Carr's last game, beating Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer. Yeah. Granted, you know they weren't obviously contending for national title that year, but they were a top 10 team heading in 41, 35. That was a great, that was just a good, that was a great, that game had everything. You know, Mike Hart talking smack, even though he fumbled twice and he, after he hadn't fumbled in like 500 carries or something like that. And <laughs> Adrian Arrington with multiple acrobatic catches in that game. Uh, that was, that was a, that was a really memorable one too. Florida had a few memorable wins against Florida, I guess. So random, right. but, Okay, anyway, um, maybe we should go listen to back on this and see if we came up with 12 or not. Right. But um, uh, some other ones. Okay, so here's another thing to discuss. Uh, the NCAA, NBA, I can't remember which party officially made the rule, but the official deadline, August 3rd. And so uh, Ryan McGraw asked, does Livers wait out his decision until August 3rd deadline or sooner? It is July 15th. It, I mean, so that's soon. You know, we're talking th- less than three weeks away. We, I guess, have operated, Steve, maybe you haven't, but I, I've kind of operated under, under the assumption that Livers really wanted to get some workouts in and not necessarily was itching to go pro. Now, there are some arguments that with his injuries, with the fact that he was Michigan's leading scorer, is his draft stock going to be higher next year? I think with some of the departures Michigan had or or lack of a rival that Michigan had I think there's a very good chance he could raise his draft stock but as far as him waiting it out I, I actually for a different story um, about a different player on the team I actually ended up talking to Luca Garza's dad this week and and he brings up a really interesting point that a lot of these players they want to know that they're, they're coming back to a season and they want to know that there's going to be you know, more than like a a 10 game season too, like a real season where there's something to compete for something to contend for, because, um, you know, there's some value in getting a degree. And I I don't think that's lost on many of these players. And Isaiah Lavers has talked about it, but I'm curious about this is that, you know, August 3rd is not that far away. The NBA, they, you know, one would think they can have a combine if they can indeed have a season with this bubble system that they have. Um, but you know, combine and workouts, you don't know what those are going to look like. And then you also don't know if you're thinking about college, what a senior season at Michigan would look like. So I think he waits until there's clarity on that, on, on maybe what, what they're going to try to do for the season. If, if the season seems to be shortened, like maybe they don't start until January 1st, or maybe it's just big 10 games, or maybe it's just, you know, 15, 16 games. He's got a decision to make. I mean, having covered him for a few years, I do get the sense that, that he wants to leave a legacy behind at Michigan. Not every player does, and nor you know, no reason that they should have to. College, by definition of college, should be a place where you get better and prepare yourself for the pro world in every facet. I mean, so I get the sense that he he wants he wants reasons to come back to Michigan. Uh I don't know if the NCAA has provided 
enough security in those reasons for him to come back. And it's also worth noting, Isaiah Livers has gone radio silent for over two months. So I don't actually know if his opinion has changed. These are based off of some of the interviews we had with him earlier on during this offseason. But Steve, um, any thoughts on, on the decision? I do think the NBA is allowing them, if they decide to go back to college and say on August 4th the season is canceled, they can always just reapply to the draft by August 17th. But Steve, any thoughts on the timeline here or anything else fans should know? I mean, I just feel bad for him and the other guys in this position because they're, they're arguably a guy like Livers where he's at is sort of a potential NBA prospect, but might make sense to come back, you know, might be in a tougher spot than any college athlete right Mm now. Well, you know what I mean though? It's like, it's almost damned if you do damned, if you don't type situation for him where it's like, you know, if he goes under, he may, this may like, you know, may end up being seeing guys that go pro when they don't, aren't ready and may end up with a career in Europe or overseas, which again, that could be very lucrative, but even then, you know, it's like, is this, you know, is this how you would have played it if things had been normal? No, probably not. So I don't envy him for what, for a decision that he's going to make, because if it, if it cuts into, if, if basketball season is cut into at all, the benefit of returning period just continue, it dwindles and dwindles, you know, because how much, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, if the season's cut, I don't know. So it's just going to be an interesting deal for him. I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I, it's going to be really intriguing to see what he does. I mean, I just, it's, it's again, unprecedented. Everything is unprecedented right now, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, that's the word, uh, we played a drinking game with unprecedented about a month ago. Just everyone uses that word all the time, but uh, you know, it is, I mean, it's just hard to know what he's going to do. And I don't envy these guys right now. It just, it stinks. Right. Right. And so one thing that I do think benefits, I don't know if it benefits livers or not, but one thing that in terms of Michigan possibly keeping or livers potentially coming back to Michigan, he would not come back. I don't think, he would come back and be kind of because I, I think when he initially declared, there was you know talk about Isaiah Todd, Josh Christopher, you know you got Franz Wagner. I mean suddenly suddenly the the shots get a little crowded and you almost wonder does Isaiah Livers kind of not not slink. I mean I, I assume he would still average double digits, but does he kind of become the second or third option on the team? I think he'd be coming back and he would be the. Maybe him and Franz would be kind of the, the main drivers of the offense. I mean, there's, there's a few other players that would obviously have, have their moments, but he would not be coming back and see his draft stock, his draft stock decline, you know, at least from a role on the team type of situation. So maybe that's something to consider, Ryan. Maybe it's not, um, you know, he, he has gone, he's, he's gone pretty dark in terms of, media coverage and talking to reporters. So um, some of our hunches are a little, little outdated, but regardless, um, perhaps that was an answer. Steve, he also asked a recruiting question. Are we saving that for the Sunday episode? What was it probably like, who's the next commitment or something? Yes. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Probably touch on it on Sunday. I don't, I don't, I couldn't say for sure. We did a who's next 
our uh, episode a couple weeks ago, obviously they've gotten a commitment since then. I mean, short, uh, you know, Rocco Spindler is set to decide on the eighth. I guess I, I guess I'll answer this real quick. He's the only guy with a concrete timeline that I can think of. So anybody, you know, he would be the guess because he has a concrete date set. Otherwise, none of these other guys have a date set, so it's impossible to predict who the next guy's going to be. So, all right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, I don't mean to. I don't mean to answer it like that either. It's just that, like, I've always say, like, um, where is always easier to predict than when because you just don't know, especially now. Yeah, that's unprecedented. True. You know. So <laughs> keep just going to keep milking that word, but no, I mean, it is, it's always, I always say it's easier to predict where than it is when, because a lot of these guys just decide it's, it's a knee jerk deal when they decide they're going to make a decision. And you're seeing guys, I mean, there's a kid top 100 kid committed to Alabama yesterday spur the moment because his mom asked if he would commit on her mom's birthday. And her, his, his, so his, it was his grandma's birthday and she had passed a few years ago, and to honor her, he committed yesterday, which is cool. It's a good, cool little story. Yeah, yeah. Just, but this was like literally a decision made within like a, a handful of hours. So it's just hard to, you know, kind of predict who, right, or, right. or hard to predict when. So. Yeah, and some players announce when they're going to commit, and some players just commit. So okay, hopefully that answered your question, though, Ryan. Uh, Scott Bell asked. Here we go, uh, Steve. What's your favorite loss that Reitz Puffer suffered to Fremont in either tennis or soccer? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, I think Scott played, I was going to say, like four singles just to give him crap. I think Scott was Fremont's one singles. I'm assuming he beat our one singles when we played them. I think our one singles was kind of weak. And I don't know if we ever took – I don't know if we ever played head-to-head with Fremont or not. Um, that's a funny that story. Seems to be inferring that you are or did. <laughs> no, nah, well, I don't. I, we might have played like there's like regionals and stuff like that where we may have okay. may have crossed paths with Fremont. I think I played two doubles. Um, I have funny. <laughs> if Scott listens, is the biggest hothead on the tennis court. Man, people used to give him crap all the time. He gets really, he get really angry uh, on the tennis court. It's kind of funny looking back. Um, but was he like a racket breaker? I don't know if he broke any racket. He definitely was a temper. He definitely had a temper though. No doubt about that. I mean, that was the one thing I remember. Uh, you'd always, you could hear him from across the, wherever you were playing. If he <laughs> was, if he was pissed about something. So, uh, that's actually, uh, you know, random that I have well, known Scott. Pretty. Yeah. Yeah. No. Pretty yeah. He's, he's, down, he's, right? he's tamed, he's <laughs> tamed things down quite a bit now, but, uh, but no. So, that's yeah, classic Scott question. I don't know. We were okay at tennis. We had, I think, my junior. We were really good. Senior year, not so good. So they probably beat us every time they played us. Well, I think Huron, where I went to high school, won state title three years of my four years there, Division One. So I don't. I never played tennis. Can't really claim too much clout there. But figured I would join the conversation. Did you play soccer too, or was that? No, I didn't. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Last thing, um, just because it is relatively newsy. So actually, we're going to hit a break because some breaking news happened while we were recording, naturally. 
Um, so we'll pause for a few seconds and then we'll come back with some news on a transfer. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, and we're back. And so, as we mentioned, um, there is a transfer. First, Michigan's first transfer, I want to say, since Devin Gill in March. And so, Steve, Aaron Lewis transferred. Bit of a surprising one. I don't believe Michigan has had true freshman, a true freshman transfer under Jim Harbaugh. Now, obviously, it was going to happen at some point. Transfers happen more and more. Uh, but this is a player who, I mean, it's not like he – never made it to campus. He was an early enrollee. Um, he hails from New Jersey, three-star defensive end, Aaron Lewis, six foot five, two thirty-five. uh, probably a little bit bigger than that at this point, but regardless, um, you know, obviously we'll get the, we'll get more of the story in the next day or so, but your initial reaction to his departure. I mean, obviously unexpected for any guy who hasn't played, to leave before they get the opportunity to do so. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's one of those deals where you just kind of wonder if what's going on right now is having an impact on, on things. I mean, he's already been on campus. He didn't really, you mentioned he enrolled early. It's not a guy who just has never has just not shown up. We're thing I'm going to try to dig on now after we're done recording is, you know, if he did, if he even came back, uh, right. You know, right. when the, when the rest of the team was to report or if he's been at home and just decided, you know, that this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, Michigan, he was a top target. You know, he committed to West Virginia last cycle, Michigan flipped him. I think there were some Chris Wormley comparisons in there for him, you know, as kind of one of those guys that would slide in. You know, a guy played in the outside in high school will slide inside. I, I wonder what impact this will have on their defensive line recruiting this cycle. If that, you know, but again, we're not in Schembechler all the time, so it's not as if we know maybe Michigan's anticipated this for a little bit, had some time to prepare for it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an f- interesting deal. To be clear, though, you know, transfer portal does not mean that he's 100% transferring away, but I mean, I think I don't even, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's, I mean, it's for scholarship players, very low. Yeah, to come back. I mean, it's usually yeah. – usually if you enter the portal, you're not coming back. But just right. want to make that clear just so that he's answer, he's entered the portal. He hasn't officially uh, transferred from the program yet, but I suspect that he'll end up elsewhere. So, I mean, New Jersey guy, naturally look at Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers has kind of, you know, made a living off picking up some uh, former Michigan players from the state of New Jersey. So, just speculating there, that could be a situation to watch. I know the West Virginia obviously was interested in him. Penn State, another school. I mean, our Penn State guy already reached out to me to see what the details were. I mean, maybe Penn State would be interested too. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it's well, you know, he was a low four star guy that I was intrigued by. It's just hard to say, is this like a big loss or is it not a big, you kind of don't know. Right. I really don't, you know, when he, he even when he practice yet. exactly, yeah. even when he enrolled early, he didn't get spring ball in. So it's, you know, he, they've never seen him in pads in a Michigan uniform. So I'm almost liable to say it's his, 
soft a blow of a loss as you could possibly have, I guess, in this situation unless, you know, again, they were high on him, though. It's not as if he wasn't a guy they really liked and were excited about. I have him down for 21 Power 5 offers. So for some context, I know people look at the stars. I'd also say look at the offers. Um, Pretty much everyone within a thousand mile radius of New Jersey offered him. Uh, well, maybe not that many, but, but you get the idea. All, all the Great Lakes and Northeast schools and Mid-Atlantic schools seem to offer him. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting, you know, to, if, if we hear any more or where he ends up. I mean, you know, West Virginia would obviously be one, pl- one place that I would kind of think, well, you know, I mean, he was committed there at one point. One thing that just came into my head, Steve, is that I wonder if we'll see a few more transfers this year. Obviously there's more transfers every year. I don't, you know, that's, that's a separate thing, but in in the event that the season is kind of in flux and there's the, you know, maybe this wouldn't be the worst season for a player to sit out. I wonder if we'll see a few more transfers, not just, not Michigan specific. I mean, overall in college football, Um, because that year of having to sit out maybe doesn't, isn't quite the deterrent that it normally would be. Uh, but, yeah, obviously a little too soon to speculate. I often, you know, when, when players transfer um, from a school like Michigan, my first inclination is, you know, what, what, what did the depth chart, how was it presented to him? But, obviously, Aaron is so early on in his college career, I, I mean, I, I can't, can't imagine it even crossed his mind, really. So maybe he'll speak on it. Yeah. Don't, no, hard, don't want to speculate on reasoning because right. there's always yeah. a very real possibility that's a legit reason for somebody yeah. to want to transfer. Oh, absolutely. So. And often, right. often it is, you know, yep. returning, especially yep. for out of state recruits, you know, being closer to family. Uh, certainly I'm sure a lot of people out there would prefer to be closer to family after a year like this. And so, um, so we'll see, we'll see if there's any more. One thing that maybe we don't have to speculate on as much on still on Michigan's defensive line, but this was news uh, that came out. Well, Sam reported it a couple weeks ago, or, or at least reported that that's, that's what he had heard. And then David Ajabo, defensive end, someone that we're very high on, he tweeted out last night that uh, he is stuck in Scotland. And so um, I guess he has UK citizenship, but, but with the travel restrictions that are going on right now, he cannot make it to Ann Arbor. Not sure if there is a timeline him to make it I mean he didn't when he went to Scotland he thought he would be back pretty soon you know just kind of go home while while the dust sort of settles and then come back and has not been able to travel back but Steve um, from from what you've been able to gather maybe not the wholesale hindrance that one would think for being overseas I mean it sounds like it sounds like Michigan's really embraced this technology you know with the zoom calls and everything and it sounds like they're doing a full full scale effort to keep him on the track that he was on. Cause there, there's discussion of him being, you know, potentially a Josh Uche type this year where, um, you know, certain pass rushing packages and certain things that he would shine in. They're not afraid to put him in that defensive line rotation. So, yeah, I mean, you think being overseas, I don't know what, well, you know, he may have a, great weight room to work out in in scotland i think you hear yeah, scotland how many, what, what, how many what how many stone. stones does yeah, he lift? yeah. That's what i almost asked him how many stone where, what stone are you at 
Um, it Michigan logistically has been great throughout this pandemic. I know, you know, we keep referencing our interview with Hibner, Matthew Hibner signee, you know, as far as like how on, uh, hands-on Michigan was with their signees, uh, let alone the guys that are already on the roster and have been there and, and the coaches know, the strength staff knows. From what I, everything I've been told, Michigan feels like they've done about as good a job as they can in keeping Ojabo, you know, as, as close to being in the action, I guess is the best way to say, as, as they've been as they can, given the circumstances. I don't get the sense that they're disappointed or upset or nervous that he's like going to be way behind or anything like that. That's the general, the general sense I get. I mean, again, to me, there's no guarantees in situations like that, but it feels like at least from a logistical standpoint, you know, Michigan really has done about as well as they could do. And given the, the circumstances with, with right. David specifically. So I know, I know he's been working out constantly and I know that's definitely not, you know, something you know, it's conditioning, workout, stuff like that. That's stuff that is – a lot of it is willpower and, and effort, just effort. You know, it's not as if he's missing out. You know, the, the Zoom is allowed, like, for, you know, film room right. meetings, that type of stuff. So he's actually still getting all that stuff too. It's really more about – to me, it's more about the strength staff almost becomes the most important part here because they have to try to put him in a position where he's still getting the equivalent you know, of what he would be getting in their amazing weight room, which I would feel like has got to be quite a bit of a challenge for their strength staff to kind of emulate, you know, what they have on campus and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they can, if they can find a, you know, club sports team out there, I mean, it's, I, I don't know Scotland's restrictions off the top of my head, but perhaps they are further along in this than America is. So, Anyway, discussion for another time. But I, I think you're right. I think, I think where things might start to change, you know, the tone that, that you kind of are relaying here, July 24th is when Michigan, I think, starts their, um, their walkthroughs. And the, the interesting thing, I actually like that the NCAA did this, is that you can do walkthroughs um, with a football now. And so, yeah, Jim Harbaugh said they'll move to a 20-hour week starting July 24th. Um, you know, right now it's mostly workouts and, and meetings, but they can start to do more of the walkthroughs and they can have footballs during the walkthroughs. So you can basically have padless practice um, starting in what, nine days. So that might be where things get a little um, trickier, but, but yeah, I mean, a job, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what the timeline becomes because he, he does have his visa to be here. You know, I know there was, there was some talk about the ICE regulations, about the online classes and things like that. I, I had a story about it. Those have been reversed back to what they were this spring. Um, so, obviously, I'm sure Michigan would rather have them here. But as you noted, sounds like sounds like they're not sounding the alarm bells yet, I guess, is, if that's fair to say. So, with that, I think that we covered the questions we got, and I think that we um, – I think we touched on the two news topics. So for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share if you like the podcast. Read all of our stories over at themichiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com, including stuff on Ajabo and on Lewis. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.